It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornchin. Well, everybody, welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornchin. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. And I'm so excited that you are tuning in. We are continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians 15 here today. We've been talking about, over the last couple weeks even, about our new and improved body. When we graduate from this vessel, how the Lord has something so remarkable in store for us. A true gift that enables us to worship Him without growing tired. No longer will fatigue and, and all of the, the bodily injuries and the, the, well, even the aging process. No longer will these be factors for these new and improved bodies that we receive. When we graduate from this vessel, we go on to be with the Lord forever and ever. And so last week, we ended with discussing how there was this aspect of emitting light that these new glorious bodies would, in essence, illuminate glory right back to God, that we deflect from ourselves right back to Him in a posture of praise by our very bodies that we are given, a lot like the angelic hosts of heaven, how they reflect the glory of God right back to Himself, and how God is light, and, and the sun was light, and, and how we will also emit that light right back to Him. And, and so if you missed last week's broadcast, go to calvaryfountain.com. This is a ministry of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church, and so I, I, we have archived there for you on our website, uh, right under audio video, all of the prior broadcasts, really up through the last 20 or so broadcasts. And then if you are missing some that you want, just let us know. We'll get those to you. You can also find our video archive of the Sunday messages and uh, our sermon notes. So again, we want to equip you as the saints for the work of ministry. So this is a rather encouraging study. I, I mean, there are some that are quite convicting, as it should be, and there are broadcasts and, and studies of God's Word like what we're going through here that I, I suspect you'll you'll be greatly encouraged. So I really enjoy going through some of these aspects of Scripture with you, just to really put our eyes on the prize. When everything out there seems to be so discouraging, just turn on the news, right? I mean, everything is social media. It feels like there's just a heaviness. There's a, there's a great deal of discouragement out there. So let's put our eyes back on the prize. Let's put it back on the author and perfecter of our faith here today, and, and just back in the glory of God and celebrate Him and all that He has for us, that this is not our final state. We're citizens of another kingdom, and let's, let's just bask in His glory as we celebrate what He has in store for us. Uh, as we ended last week, and we, we talked about this reality that to, to, to walk as in His light, to bask in His glory, to as we then live in truth and righteousness, and that we shine brightly forever and ever in not only the state that we're in right now to reflect his own glory back to him, but also in our new vessels as that will reflect glory back to him. Let's let's now turn the page a little bit more here. Let's go deeper into our study here. First Corinthians 15, 42 to 44. Let's pick up there, verses 42 to 44. What we're going to see here is that the resurrection makes us new and improved. Okay, the resurrection makes us new and improved. I like those words already. Paul contrasts the two living bodies, the present body and the glory of the resurrected body, this resurrection body we receive. So your present body was created to last only a few years and return to the dust. However, your resurrection body will equip you for a much higher level of, exi of existence. It's something spectacular. Let's just read what he has for us here. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 to 44. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. 
it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. Oh, I love that. What an encouraging, just, I mean, if you want to put a magnet on your refrigerator or a bumper sticker, let's just start talking about that. Here's the promises of the Lord, and the Apostle Paul happens to be the pen of the Holy Spirit here. Let's just, uh, let me examine with you here just quickly what happens with a caterpillar. I mean, we've used that analogy in in vacation Bible schools. Uh, You know, you probably have done some Bible studies, and the caterpillar is this great example of one vessel transforming into another vessel. And at the resurrection, our bodies will be transformed from our current caterpillar form to a future butterfly status, if you will. So let me ask you this. I don't know. Maybe you've not really thought about it. I used to love science class, history. Love that. Um, I don't know if you know this or not. Maybe never really thought about how a caterpillar transforms into a butterfly. Uh, but but here's what here's just going to give you an idea here. A, a caterpillar digests itself. Okay, it releases enzymes to dissolve all of the tissues. So if you were to cut open a cocoon or a chrysalis, at just the right time, a caterpillar soup would ooze out. But the contents of that, I think it's called the pupa, are, are not entirely amorphous, and it's not just some amorphous mess, if you will. I mean, there, there's these highly organized groups of cells known as imaginal discs, and they survive this digestive process. Okay, once a caterpillar has digested all of its tissue except for these imaginal discs, those discs use this protein-rich soup all around them to fuel the rapid cell division required to form the wings, the antenna, the legs, the eyes, and all the other features of an adult butterfly or a moth. So these imaginal discs for a fruit fly wing, for example, they might begin with only 50 cells, and then they increase to more than 50,000 cells by the end of the metamorphosis. So at the end of this metamorphosis, you go from 50 cells to 50,000 cells. Okay, so your current form is going to disintegrate before you emerge in your final form. Okay, so this is true of the raptured saints as well. They will be changed. They, they cannot put on immortality with their current vessels. We've often put our eyes on that, of the idea of this rapture, this harpasso. We love that. We love talking about that. In fact, in my book, I, I, I just released on the book of Revelation, uh, you know, we talk about the idea of maybe even two raptures. I know, it's a stunning idea, but that there's bookends of Revelation 7 and 14 and a lot of detail in there about this harpasso, but yet we must be changed. You cannot inherit eternal life with this body. We have to go into a new form. I do love that, actually, because this form lets me down all the time. And when we really think about that, there's four changes that must take place to transform our lowly earthly bodies into one that can be in God's presence forever and ever. And so change number one is the perishable to imperishable. That's what he says here in verse 42 of 1 Corinthians 15. So our present bodies are perishable, and they degenerate. And we know that quite well, right? As we progress day by day toward the grave, just like Adam, we're headed back to the dust. And you're like, I thought this was supposed to be an encouraging broadcast. Yes, it is. Let me get to that. Just like Adam, right now, we're headed back to the dust, but we will be raised imperishable, never to deteriorate or die again. In heaven, no one will comment on your age. Notice the years that are beginning to take their toll. 
You'll look as young as a billion years from now as you were maybe a thousand years from now. Let me give you one example here. I love this particular example. We're talking about science here. Sir Michael Faraday, he's one of England's greatest chemists and physicists. He reportedly heard a student that was scoffing at the idea of the resurrection. So Faraday threw a silver goblet into a jar of acid. It completely dissolved. And then he added other chemicals that caused the silver to settle at the bottom of the jar. So the chemist then took the silver to the silversmith, who made it into a goblet more beautiful than the first. So Faraday held up the goblet and told the student, If I, an ordinary scientist, can dissolve and remake a silver goblet, why is it hard to believe that God can raise the body from the dead? So God will transform your perishable body into one that's indestructible. And once you receive it, dying will be impossible. Let's look at number two. You're changed from dishonor to glory, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 43a. So dishonor to glory. So all of us come to a point in life when we look in the mirror and we say, mirror, mirror on the wall, you've got to be kidding. Okay, there's a sense in which our bodies are dishonorable. It's not something that's complimentative at all. And the spirit and the body don't match up. But God promises that we'll, we will be raised in glory. So when a body is transported to a funeral home, it is always covered, for the most part, by maybe a sheet or some kind of shield. It keeps the curious eyes from the dishonor of looking upon the corpse. But every dead body is a reminder of our dishonor. It's a reminder that we're frail, and these bodies are temporary. Now, if you're seated next to somebody as you're listening to this, uh, uh, you can have a little fun with this. Uh, you know, let me just tell you this. The person on your left right now, they're in trouble. <laughs> okay, maybe it's the person on your right. Uh, I don't know. If, if it's a person on your left, they're definitely in trouble. And I'd like you to do something very carefully here. If you if you look out of the corner of your eye at the person to your left, you know, don't do it obviously. Just 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 kind of glance just a little bit, just out of the side there. And, and what you need to realize here is that that person that you're looking at just out of the corner of the peripheral of your eye there, they're terminally ill. Now take a quick look to the, maybe you got somebody sitting on your right there. Just take a, you know, a little glance over to your right there. That person's just fine. It's just the person on your left that's in trouble. I, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. The truth is that person sitting between every other person, whether you're looking to your left or to your right or looking in a mirror at yourself, we're all terminally ill. And some of us who are younger will be gone before some of us who are even older. And that's simply the way it is. Yet we live in denial if we don't recognize our temporary state in this vessel in the scope of eternity. We keep hanging on to this vessel for all that's in us, the self-preservation, to try to hold on to this body as if this is all there is, instead of recognizing that there is something far greater that awaits. Now, I'm not saying that you want to exit this vessel anytime soon. But rather, you have to understand in the scope of eternity, we're living as though we only have 80 to 100 years on this earth. And that's it. Whoever dies with the most toys wins or some foolish philosophy of men, as opposed to having an internal perspective. So change number three that must occur is we go from weakness to power. From weakness to power. 1 Corinthians 15, 43b. Now, have you ever noticed that everyone wants to live long, but nobody wants to grow old? I mean, that's the truth of it. My grandmother says, growing old is no fun at all. Now, if you want the proof of this, just consider the five B's of middle age. Baldness, bifocals, bridges, bulges, and bunions. 
I mean, nothing seems to work. Our bodies just wear out, slow down, decay, sag, groan, even begin to smell bad. Okay, so we brag about our strength, but a, a tiny microbe can kill us. So sooner or later, we grow older and our bodies begin to break down. I mean, eventually they stop working altogether. No amount of vitamin C or Siberian ginseng can change that fact. At best, we can only slow down the aging process. We cannot delay it forever. So if you're like me, you probably have one part of your body, maybe it's several parts, that we'd like to change. Maybe it's our weight, our height, our hair, or something about your face. And then to make matters worse, our, our culture bombards us daily with images of beautiful, well-built people. I mean, they're all over the place, right? Every magazine cover, all over social media. Everybody has to look this certain image, and we deny that that's what we do, but we do it, and Hollywood just, you know, basks in that. And then they say they don't do it, but they do, all right? It's all around us. I mean, we're constantly being reminded that we fall short, and that we got to spend more money to try to look a certain way, drive a certain automobile, live in a certain home, and all of it is, is futile. It's all coming to an end. But in heaven, there'll be no need for any of that. No need for fad diets, weight watchers, aerobics, exercise bikes, personal trainers, physical therapists, stair masters, weight rooms, saunas, jogging tracks, low-fat foods, diet drinks, or plastic surgeons. We're not going to need any of that. And in fact, you might just be able to eat all the bacon you want. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not kidding. <laughs> so God will give you one of his, 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 each of his children, every one of them. They're going to receive a glorious, unique, diverse, perfect new body at the resurrection that will never fail or disappoint them ever again. And all for the glory of God. So fortunately, our resurrection bodies will be extremely powerful. We'll never grow weary or weak. I mean, could you imagine not having to sleep throughout eternity? Since there'll be no need for a nap, we'll never again have to toss or turn on a lumpy mattress, complain about not getting a good night's rest. Wives will not have to listen to their husbands snore anymore. No more insomnia, sleeping pills, or alarm clocks. I mean, our way of life will be radically different than our lifestyles here on earth as they are presently. I mean, it's going to be so much better. And yet it's all for the glory of God. And all those crowns that he wants to put upon your head and the new wardrobe and the signet ring and your name in the temple and all these wonderful things. And we praise God for those incentives and we long to hear those words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. We long to be in the presence of God, but not at the expense of our service in the now. Right? We, we have to, the reason why we put our eyes on that is because it should incentivize us to not lay down so many treasures on this earth. Let it go. Don't put your roots so deep into the soil. It's a defeated parcel of land. Everything's going to change, especially during the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ. And then afterwards, there's a new heaven and a new earth. So don't make your identity into something so temporary. And the fourth change that has to happen here is we go from natural to spiritual. So when Paul states that our resurrection bodies will be spiritual, he does not mean like Casper the friendly ghost, okay? This refers to a type of body that we will have. So in this context, spiritual body can also mean a body that is subject to the human spirit, no longer of our fleshly desires. I mean, when the disciples saw Jesus after his resurrection, they thought they'd seen a ghost, but Jesus assured them, behold, my hands and my feet, that is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have, from Luke 24, 39. 
So Jesus did not become a spirit, but was raised with a spiritual body. In heaven, we will not be spirits, but we will have a spiritual body. I mean, after Jesus died and rose from the dead, he didn't have two bodies, one natural and another spiritual. He had one body, a natural body that had been transformed into a perfect spiritual body. So Jesus showed his disciples, if you recall these marks here, uh, of the nails that went through his hands and his feet, the wounds at his side, and he proved it was a body by visual identification, but the body had undergone a radical change. I mean, Christ walked right through the closed doors where they were meeting in. He walked right through those doors after the resurrection. No problem. Of John chapter 20, verses 19 to 20. So keep in mind that the reason the angel rolled the stone from the tomb in the first place was not to let Christ out, but to let the witnesses in. So similarly, when we are resurrected, your body will be changed and perfected. What does scripture tell us? 1 John 3, 2, we shall be like him. And have you ever watched those infomercials? Read those magazines, you see those astounding before and after photographs. And the question is, how did this happen? I mean, obviously, exercise and diet are capable of transforming our lowly earthly bodies. Yet, the same person exists in this revolutionized earthly suit. I like to believe that our resurrection bodies will be so wonderful and glorious that it'll be exactly what we've always dreamed of in a body, and it will never disappoint us. And the wonderful, awesome thing in this is we won't actually care what our bodies look like, because most of that is all sin anyway, right? Pride and arrogance and I don't know, we have low self-esteem about ourselves and all these things where society beats us up and we've got to look a certain way and all that peer pressure and all these things will look a certain way. I mean, all of that is sin. And so none of that will be a factor there anyway. And so here in verses 45 to 49 of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul draws, draws now these comparisons between Adam and Jesus. And in this section, he argues that there is a difference between earthly and spiritual bodies. Let's, let's read it, 1 Corinthians 15, 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So the first Adam was merely a living human being, and Adam, by God's decree and design, gave you and I a temporary physical life through Eve, right? So we were there all the cascading generations since Adam and Eve, and Eve was the mother of life as life would come through her and all the generations that would follow all the way to you and I. So by emphatic contrast here, the last Adam is not merely living, but life-giving where the prior vessel would only take our life unto death, Paul's point here is that Christ gives you eternal life through his resurrection. We have, likewise, a resurrection that awaits. Hebrews 2.9 says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone, taking it upon himself. Hebrews 9.26-28 then says, He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. You see, dominion of the earth was given to Adam, according to Genesis 1, 26 to 31. But Christ became the second Adam, the kinsman redeemer. 
he, he was taken, he had taken on then this full debt of our sin upon himself, and he is the only one worthy to restore the sons and daughters of Adam, according to Revelation chapter 5. And you read more than about Paul's comparison of Adam and the condemnation and all that, that Christ took it upon himself, that he was the justification. He justifies us. He sanctifies us by the propitiation of his own blood. And we read this in Romans 5, 12 to 21. So Paul concludes this section here of 1 Corinthians 15, 46 to 49 with these powerful words. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven and was the man of dust. So also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. You see, he's making that contrast right there between Adam and Jesus. One is of dust, one is of eternal glory. So I'm so glad that Paul made these last four verses so simple. I mean, his argument is the heavenly is greater than the earthly. But in order to experience the heavenly body, we must first live in this earthly body. So today our souls in, inhabit this, uh, this vessel that's formed in the image of the fallen state of Adam, yet our souls bear the image of Jesus, and soon our new body will do likewise. The best is yet to come. You know, a woman was uh, diagnosed with a terminally, uh, she was, it was a terminal situation. I mean, this was a, a terminal illness that she was battling. And I remember this story well. She was given three months to live. And as she was getting her things in order, she contacted her pastor and asked him to, to come to her house to discuss some of her final wishes. And she told him the songs that she wanted sung in her funeral service and all the scriptures she wanted read and, and the outfit she wanted to be buried in. And then she requested that her favorite Bible be buried with her. And as the pastor then prepared to leave, the woman suddenly remembered something else. There's one more thing, she said excitedly. What's that, said the pastor. Well, this is important, the woman said. I, I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. And the pastor stood looking at the woman, not quite knowing what to say. And the woman explained, in all my years of attending church socials and all the potluck dinners, when the dishes of the main course were being, being cleared off, someone would inevitably lean over and say, keep your fork the best is yet to come. It was one of my this favorite part of the meal because I, I knew that something better was coming like velvety chocolate cake or a deep dish apple pie. And so when people see me in that casket with a fork in my hand and then they ask, what's with the fork? I want you to tell them the best is yet to come. And truly, that's the message we need to leave here with of this study here, 1 Corinthians 15. And we still have so much more to cover in this amazing chapter. But remember that the best is yet to come. Don't grow discouraged by what you see in the news, what you hear and what you're reading and even on social media and all the everybody who seems to mean well and all they're doing is chattering about the negative that's going on around us. I want you to put your eyes on the prize. The best is yet to come. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can be assured of that promise. You have a glorious body that awaits you. You have victory in Christ Jesus. You're more than a conqueror in him. You have life eternal with him in a glorious body that will no longer let you down. Don't hold on to the temporary anymore. Cling to that which is eternal and focus on that. 
And as Paul tells us in the book of Philippians, that we need to, to consume the things that, that fuel us in that way. Whatever is praiseworthy, whichever is, is honorable. Now, these are the things that we are to consume of and to focus on those things because we can eagerly, or I, I don't know, we can, at a bad habit, we can find ourselves growing discouraged. We can just get so caught up in all the town gossip and take our eyes off the prize. Take our eyes off the reality of these promises that Jesus Christ has assured us of. Now, as we close here, I want to just give you a little uh, caveat thought here. I uh, just had the opportunity to speak with Carol over at Kingpin Bowling Alley. Now, the reason why I bring that up here on this broadcast is because my heart has been heavy for our local businesses. As as now we're in level three here in Colorado Springs of the Safer at Home uh, the public health orders and so forth. I don't want you to be discouraged. If you can, please go out of your way to help local businesses. Now, don't let fear dominate the landscape. Let, let's rise up. Let's be part of something better. Let's help those in need. Many of these small businesses are struggling. Carol over there at Kingpin, which is over at 3410 North Academy, uh, she's had a hard day. Uh, she was almost in tears as we were talking about this, of how, the, how businesses suffered so badly. And yet she has capacity for 83 people, even at 25%. And yet when I was over, there was maybe five people there. She needs our help. And she's one of many small business owners all across Colorado Springs, all across Southern Colorado. As you're listening to this, please go out of your way. I know, I know that there are, are franchises all around us, big box stores and so forth. If you can just make it in an effort to go and help the small businesses through this difficult time, uh, it's, a, it's a, uh, a worthy cause especially here as we get closer to the holidays. So think about them as you make your purchases toward the end of the year here. And uh, I just want to thank you for listening here to Engage in Truth. This is a broadcast of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. We're on the southern end of Colorado Springs. Our services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sunday, but we have meetings and groups that gather throughout the week as well. If you're looking for a fellowship right here in Colorado Springs, you want to go deeper in God's Word, then check us out. you learn more at Calvary Fountain. Dot com. Again, calvaryfountain.com. God bless you, my friends. Take care.